Hello and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. Open up your Bibles with me today to the book of John. We're going to look at John chapter 14. And we're just going to pick up where we left off last week and talk about end times. Now, next week is invite weekend. Uh, We'll not talk about that then. Uh, (laughs) We will have a lot of guests in the house uh, because you're going to bring them. Uh, And invite weekend is bait for the world uh, for us to go fishing. And you don't go fishing just by putting out the hook. You attach some bait to it. Um, And so we're going to go fishing next weekend across all of our campuses. So I want you to think about right now at each and every campus you're at, who are you bringing next week? And, and this is because God does want his house full. We do too, but we want to see people come to Jesus. And that's what we're going to preach next weekend is Jesus. Why is he a must? Uh, why is he the only way? Uh, why do I need him and why do I need to have him in my life? We're going to talk about that. Uh, and it's, I'll just give you a hint. It's because we all need a scapegoat. Um, and so I'm fired up about it. Bring somebody. Uh, and yourself. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun next week. But then after that, we're just going to keep this thread going because I got so many questions last week about end times. Uh, and it was so fun, especially from a lot of young people. Like I said, God's moving in our youth. And so they're texting like my, my kids and they're like, ask your dad. I'm like, am I going to get married? Like, ask, ask your dad. Like, do I need to save? Like, uh, you know, all those types of things. Like, what do I do? Should I go on the mission field right now and just skip college? Like, all of these kinds of things. And so I'm like, this is awesome that there's so many questions um, and that type of thing. So I want to give like end times 101 and let me just kind of help everybody um, know uh, this is not like, don't act like you don't have a future. You occupy until Jesus comes. Um, you save, you invest, you get an education, pursue your, your, your career, all of those types of things. But the, the goal is, is that with messages like these, you become more kingdom-minded. Where literally every decision you, you are making, you're thinking about the advancement of his kingdom. Because you know he is coming. You know I will see him. You know I will give an account for my life. That you will give an account for what you did with what he gave you. That when Jesus teaches these these principles, he's not just talking about in this life. He's talking about at the judgment seat when we see him at the end of time. And in all of these things, and we're going to talk about it. But I want this series to instill us to be driven with purpose. And that you begin to think about in your own life how you could go about leveraging your life more for the expansion of his kingdom. That whatever he's given you from your job to your platform to your gifts to your abilities to your finances, how can I go about to leverage my life greater for the expansion of the kingdom of God? Why? Because everything we're about to tell you is going to happen. 
that the Bible is not just a, a book about what did happen, it's, about, it's a book about what will happen. And we want to begin looking at those things to fuel us with faith and to fuel us with mission. Um, and so let's dive into it. John chapter 14 and verse number one. Do not let your heart be troubled no matter what you read on your news app. No matter what you see on television or hear on social media, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Jesus. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. Just say this with me across all of our campuses. Say, he has a place for me. Oh, I like that. Yes, he does. He has a place for you. He has a place for me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, watch this, I will come again. I'm coming again. And I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way I am going. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, Lord, listen, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but but through me. There's not a bunch of ways. There is one way, the way. His name is Jesus, which is why we need to tell people about him. Because everybody needs a scapegoat. Next week. Um, So out of this, uh, what I want to look at today is a basic timeline of events. They'll put it up. I don't know if they're putting it on the screen here on the LED one one way or the other. Ah, I like it. We're going to use the big screen today. Uh, So um, I, my wife, my my daughter turned 17. I can't even believe I just said that on Tuesday. It's the middle of the conference. And so my wife went to a lake house this week with my daughter and friends and children and all of those types of things to celebrate my daughter's birthday. Um, You know, and her sister had it. And so they drove down there. So I had like Friday and Saturday all by myself. You talk about geeking out. Like, I, there are so many books about end times I wanted to read. Read them all. Uh, I got online and got into, like, the chat, chat boxes of, like, these YouTube messages of all the people who do not like people who believe in pre-trib uh, tribulation. Like, all of these kinds of things. I'm like, this is awesome. I am more convicted about my beliefs than I have ever been before in my life, and I love it. So, not a lot of sleep, but a lot of caffeine. And so, out of that... We are ready to go. Now, one of the, the ones that I listened to that I really, really liked is Pastor David Jeremiah. Now, I don't often like throw people out there from the pulpit because you never know with people. Sometimes they go crazy. Um, and so I'm very, very seldom do I give a name, but I feel safe with Dr. D- David Jeremiah. Like every time I listen to him, I'm like, I want a glass of milk and a cookie. And like, just teach me, grandfather. Like I want all of those kinds of things. Um, and so, but, but out of that, he has a great teaching on the rapture, end times, all of that. So I went and I read his book and I listened to his messages on it and watched his videos, that kind of thing. And I saw him do this and I thought, you know what, I like that because it's simplified. And, you know, I could teach Ecclesia, uh, you know, the, the end times and, you know, that type of thing, like in a Bible school way. But I want to make it as simple as possible. And I thought the timeline helped with that. So here you see a basic timeline. The first coming of Christ. And so that is um, out of that with the, the first coming of Christ is the birth of Jesus. It gives birth to the church age. 
And so when Jesus came on the earth, he introduced a way into salvation. He empowered his disciples. Um, He was placed on them the power of the Holy Spirit and began what's called the church. You see the church formed out in the book of Acts that after his death, burial, and resurrection, people now could become Christians. They are empowered with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and they go and reach the world as they know it, which at that point, it's just the Jewish world. It's like everybody who's getting saved is Jewish because they think, okay, it's coming to the Jews and, and that type of thing. So everybody's, you know, they're going to the synagogues, they're going to these places, and they're reaching Jewish people. One day, Peter's praying, and while he is praying, he has a vision. This is all in the book of Acts. While he's praying, he has a vision. Super cool. And he sees all of these unclean animals that, like, by Jewish law, it's like, you don't eat them. Uh, and he's hungry while he's praying. Has that, has that ever happened to you? You were praying and you got real hungry and got distracted. But anyway, this way he's heavenly distracted. And he's hungry and he's seeing all these animals and the Lord is telling him in the vision, rise, kill and eat. And he's like, not so, Lord. It's unclean. And Jesus says to him in the vision, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And it's symbolic. He's telling him that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is not just for the Jew but for the Gentile as well. Gentile is not a bad word. Gentile is just everybody who's not Jewish. Uh, And so out of that, he's showing him this is not just for Jewish people. This is for the whole world. And this guy by the name of Cornelius who loves the Jewish people, he's given to him regularly. He's praying and all these things. His giving and his prayers came up before God as a memorial. God saw it and it blessed him. His giving and his prayer life blessed uh, God. And God is like, I'm going to share the gospel with you first as a Gentile. And so he sends Cornelius to Peter. And Peter realizes this is what's going on. God's now reaching the Gentiles. And the church age is born. Cornelius is, is received as a convert. Him and his whole family believe on the name of Jesus. And right when they do, the Bible says in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and prophesied. Amazing. That brought us all the way up till today. The church has expanded literally all over the world. And no matter how hard Satan tried to persecute it or snuff it out, it just keeps growing. There are billions of us on the planet now. I mean, almost in every nation, every tongue, it's fulfillment of prophecy. Like, it's, yeah, we can clap for that. It's awesome. The kingdom of God is prevailing in the earth like Jesus said it would. It started like a grain of mustard seed, so small. Started so small, but when it went into the ground and died in Jesus, it reaped a harvest with his resurrection that is literally rippling throughout the earth today. That's the church age. It's coming to a close. And we looked last week that Jesus said, when you see these signs, and the signs, by the way, that we mentioned last week, if you weren't here, you can go back and watch the message, are not the signs of the rapture, they're the signs of the second coming. The rapture, actually, according to what I see, uh, is going to take place seven years before the second coming. So the rapture could literally happen any moment now. Now somebody said, like, do you believe that? Yes. And so has every person who has ever been a Christian. That's the way they've been trained. Paul, when he wrote about it to the church at Thessalonica, which we're going to look at that, First and Second Thessalonians, they were well-versed in the fact that the rapture could happen at any moment. It's, a, it's a, a law in Scripture called eminence, that the belief that the rapture could happen any moment. Why? Because if you believed it could happen at any moment, it changes the way that you live. You're looking forward to the return of the Lord. You're sharing your faith because you believe Jesus is coming back, and I'm going to see him face to face. And the church has lost this. 
And, and the, even the American church, it's become more about us than us leveraging our lives for him. Uh, and so out of that, we, we need to get this back because Jesus is coming. And, and out of this, the rapture is something that is going to happen. When the rapture comes, in my opinion, now this, is, this was so much on, uh, so much on on the internet last night. I'm like, wow, this is deep. Post-trip people are serious. Um, they, it, we, we, I believe from Scripture, uh, and we'll see this when we talk about the tribulation in two weeks. Next weekend, invite weekend, we're going we're gonna to win people to Jesus. We're going to talk about his grace. After that, we're talking about the tribulation. With the tribulation. Uh, this is God's wrath hitting the earth. It is, if you want to look at it, Revelations 4 through Revelations 19. And there are people who believe that the rapture will happen after the tribulation. Now, there's not a Christian or a theologian who does not believe that the rapture will happen. It's just placement. Will it happen before? Pre-tribulation is what it's called. Or after? Post-tribulation. And some people see that the rapture will be at the same time as the second coming of Christ. They just believe it's the same event. I'll kind of explain to you when I talk about the tribulation as to why I don't see that from Scripture, um, that I see kind of a a different theology. But let me just help all the people who are post-trib. If you want to get in the comment box and blast me, I love you and I am not against you. We just see it differently. That's all it is. And I'll be the first one to say, like, if we get in the middle of the tribulation and I see like Elijah and Moses or Elijah and Enoch, it'll be one of those two combinations. I see them and the temple being rebuilt and I see all of that kind of stuff and the Antichrist sitting on the temple. We'll cover all that. One world government, one world currency. I will be the first one to get up and say, I was wrong. It wasn't pre-trib. It's actually post-trib. Jesus is coming soon. Like, I'll be the first one to say it. Because whether it's pre or post, it's going to happen. The rapture's going to happen. And whichever one you believe doesn't mean, like, you're, you're going or not. Like, the belief is in Jesus, not when the rapture is. But the con, the post-trib people would say, and this is just so you can understand these terms of like post-trib, meaning we're raptured after the tribulation, pre-trib, meaning we're raptured before the tribulation. Their argument with post-trib is, if you think it's pre, and then you're right in the middle of the tribulation, that people will be like, why didn't he come get us? And they'll walk away from their faith. And so once again, if it is post and I'm wrong, I'll get up and be like, don't walk away from your faith. Don't take the mark of the beast. Jesus is coming. Uh, so, but I'll, I'll show you why from scripture, I believe it's pre. But my point is, is the rapture is going to happen. And this is not just something that um, you need to be aware of or like know the term. You need to know your Bible and, and where it's at in here. Uh, and so the, the, the thought of Jesus' coming was, again, is literally, literally one of the biggest doctrines in the New Testament. Um, if you don't understand it, you're not going to understand the bulk of Jesus' parables. And if you don't understand it, you're not going to understand a lot of the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now, one of the big ones that I want to look at today that talks about the rapture, where it just kind of lays it out, is in 1 Thessalonians. So let's go over there and look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to look here in verse number 13. While you're turning, the term rapture is never mentioned in Scripture. And this is kind of an interesting note. 
Uh, and somebody says, well, why is it so common? Well, when your Bible is translated into Latin, they took the phrases that we're about to read to catch away, and their word for it was raptura, R-A-P-T-U-R-A. And that is where we get our word rapture. But the, the thought process behind rapture is the great snatch. It is the, the catching away of the saints. It is the, the call of the saints literally out of the earth and, and to the Lord in heaven. He said, I will come again so that where I am, you may be also. Here we see Paul teach this doctrine. In fact, let me just precursor. Um, the church of Thessalonica, everything, and many theologians um, say this, I agree with it when I read First and Second Thessalonians, they were so looking forward to the Lord's return that they were afraid they had missed it and that they were actually in the tribulation. You read Second Thessalonians chapter 1, um, they were being um, so persecuted um, by the people around them for being Christ followers that they thought they were in the, the tribulation. And so they're writing to Paul other letters because it wasn't like, hey, I can pick up the phone or shoot an email or, you know, get in a DM or any of those types of things. You're, you're communicating through letters that are taking time. And so they're writing to Paul and theologians believe they're asking, like, did we miss it? Did we miss the rapture? What do we do now that we're in the tribulation? And then not only that, they were, were believing so much in the rapture that Jesus could come any minute now. And people were dying. And they're like, well, what happens then? Like, if God's coming to, like, take us out of the earth and I'm dead, um, what happens to me? What happens to the people who have died? And so Paul is writing to address those concerns at the church of Thessalonica. So let's look at one of his correspondence with them in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as the rest do who have no hope. Now, notice this terminology, asleep. This is the Bible term for death. Um, you remember when Jairus' daughter died, they said, don't bother any, the master any longer, she's dead. And Jesus said, no, she's not dead, she's asleep. I will go and wake her. Uh, with Lazarus, they're like, he's like, roll away the stone. They're like, Lord, he's been dead for three days. He's like, he's not dead, he's asleep. And I will come and wake him. Because there's a difference between being dead as a doornail and asleep. If they're asleep, they can be what? Awake. They can be awoken. If they're dead, dead. And so the Bible term for death is asleep. And this is key. Uh, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Those who are, the world would say have died. So that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So what happens when people die? You, you go to a funeral, everybody's crying. Or at least in most places. Everybody's crying, everybody's grieving. And I've done this long enough to see some real grief. I'm talking like head in, in the floor, you know, banging on the casket. Like I've seen some real grief. And it's a lot of times because they don't understand this. That death is not goodbye. It's not death, it's sleep. Now, watch this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So, notice that terminology. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord... 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, we're not going up first and then they come later. We're not preceding them. Well, why? They preceded us. Somebody says, well, where do you see that? Watch this in verse 14 again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will, watch this, bring with him. So where are the people who have died? Those who are asleep, where are they? They're with him. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Who's your pastor? You do that so well. (laughs) To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, When you are made, uh, when God made Adam, he created him out of the dust of the ground. And he's just there. And, and if you've ever been to a funeral, you see it. In fact, when I see somebody in, you know, um, a casket or that type of thing, I have the same thought every time. You know what it is? That's not them. Um, you're looking at me through two windows you call eyes. The real you is the hidden man of the heart. It's the you in you. It's the woman in you. It's the man in you. And out of that, when you die, your body goes into the ground asleep. But your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Uh, Now, I'll come back to that, but just watch this. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Could be any minute now. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Whoa. So those who have no Christ, who have died, those who are asleep, they're rising first. Well, does that mean they're here? No. They're with the Lord coming with them. But it does mean what? Their body is here. And this is about, you're about to get 2.0, like you 2.0. All right, watch this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, all of us who know him by name, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what does he mean here of like they will be called up first? Their bodies. When you die, your body goes into the ground asleep. You go to heaven or hell? Um, well, I'll show you a couple examples of this. Can we throw up those scriptures in Luke? Uh, here you see in the, the gospel of Luke, there's a man on the cross next to Jesus. There's really two, two thieves. One is mocking Jesus. There's a lot of that going on today. The other is talking to him and asking him if he can remember him. Can you help me? And watch how this plays out. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And watch what he says. He said unto him, truly, I say unto you, today you will be with me where? And I don't know about you. Paradise sounds nice. I'll take paradise. Amen. But notice what he said. Today you will be with me in paradise. So his body went into the ground asleep. But where did he go? The real him. The part of him that gave his body life. It went to where? Where? paradise. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. Look at this. Um, Jesus tells another story in the book of Luke. Watch this. Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Watch this. And a poor man named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. What a life. You, one of the things about Jesus is to look for people who are hurting and to be gracious, kind, and his hands and feet. May we do that more in Jesus' name. Now, the poor man died. Watch this. He died and was carried away by the angels. So apparently when we die, angels come and get us. We, we, I said that last week, and I didn't get scripture for it. I said, like, with Lot. Like, he said, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the, the, the end of days. When Lot got out of the city, who took him? Angels. Uh, that when he died, angels came to get Lazarus and took him up. His body went into the ground asleep, but God took him up. And watch this, carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was what? Buried. So his body is buried, but notice that's not where he is. Watch where he is. In Hades. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony from this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm and it's fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said then, I beg you, Father, talking to Abraham, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so they will not come also to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear them. Uh, I want you to notice the body was in the ground of both of these men, but they weren't in the ground. Their body was asleep, but the real them was in two different places. One was in paradise, the other one was in Hades. Um, We know their names. Um, Many theologians say this was not a parable, this was an actual person, because in no parable did Jesus ever give a name. And this, he named the rich man Lazarus. Notice a couple of things here, how real this is. People think when we get to heaven, what's it going to be like? And, you know, they've heard rumors and stories of like people like floating on clouds and babies with, you know, cherubs and, you know, that kind of thing. Notice how real it is that you have your soul there. You know who people are. He knew Abraham when he saw Abraham. He knew the, that's the guy who was in front of my house. Um, He knew the relational context. Notice also physically was real. That even in that state um, uh, of that, uh, he could feel the fire. And he could also feel relief that would come from one drop of water. Jesus, even in his glorified body, ate fish. 
Heaven is glorified earth. It's, it's not like one big worship service. There's worship there, but it's walks by streams and it's, it's conversations and it's you know the people that you know and you'll, you'll know me. Uh, you know, I might have hair with my glorified body. I'm really thinking about not asking for it, though, because I really like the convenience of being bald. Like, seriously, like, I, like 30 seconds, I'm ready. Like, it's, it's, it's got blessings, and, and I like the shape of my head. Uh, so, amen. Amen. Uh, so, you know, out of these things, though, I want you to notice how real it is. It's It's real. And all of us, when Jesus comes or when we die, will go to one or the other. And what here Paul is teaching is, is that when he comes on that day, that rapture that could come in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, when it comes, it will literally call up their bodies. Because this is so cool. God's not going to let Satan and death have anything. And Satan, the curse, and death has hurt so many of our bodies. It has wounded them. They've been weak, allergies, uh, crippleness, all of these kinds of things that people wrestle with in their bodies. Satan has come in in this earth and made our bodies fall just like the earth. And he's not going to let them have the earth either. He's going to make it new too. But with your bodies, those bodies that got corruptible, that got old, that began to fall apart, God's like, I'm not even going to let death and Satan have that. I'm going to tell them to come forth. And the first thing that's going to come is I'm going to trade and read 1 Corinthians 14. Mortality for immortality. That out of that, even their bodies I am going to glorify. And even their bodies I am going to place my spirit on where they are made new. And for those who have gone before us, you'll see them all again. My kids will, will play with their grandfather, with my father. My, my kids will know their, their uncle or their, you know, my uncle. They will, will know uh, their great-grandfather who has passed that they never got to meet. He will know them. That life is waiting everyone who has been called by the name of the Lord. That life awaits everyone who is called upon that name, I should say. And out of that, Paul said, you haven't missed the rapture. You'll know it. And when it happens, you'll be changed. And you'll be caught up together with them. And so he said, comfort one another with these words. That death is not scary. That if you've had someone who's died, it's not scary. They're never alone. As soon as they left you, they were with angels. (laughs) And did you know something else? They can see you. Lazarus knew his brothers on the earth. He knew their spiritual condition, that they weren't saved. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, You're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. A witness sees. You can't be a witness unless you see and know. They can see your spiritual state. They can see your spiritual progress. And just like you're playing a game, the most important game ever played, 
And people cheer for the players who are on the field. They are cheering you on for asking you to run your race. Some of you, I feel this in my heart, like you're grieving over people. What would they say to you? Would they be satisfied with you in a stage of grief? Would they, would they take pleasure in you not being able to move on? No. What would they do? Get up. You will see me again. Get up. There's a race for you to run. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Fight to the finish. Finish your course. Run your race. You'll see me again. Jesus is Lord. He reigns over death. He reigns over hell. He reigns over everything. It gives comfort. And with the rapture, he says, it gives comfort too because there will be a generation that one day they're caught up together with him. The second thing the rapture gives us is consecration. And I just want to read these scriptures to you real quick. I'll have to close. I've gone too long. In Matthew, watch this. They'll put it up on the screens. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour... No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. He's talking about the rapture, the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Watch this. They were eating, drinking. It's just like, it's not going to happen. Just sharing a meal, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark. Watch this. Keep going. Verse 39. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. When they're all gone, then it's like, where'd they go? Until they were all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field, and one will be taken and one will be left. And two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will be left. And of course, they're asking, well, who will be taken and who will be left? And Jesus tells them a story. He said there, right after that, you can read it. He tells them a story. He says, there was a master who came and told his servants, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And he delivered unto them his goods. One servant said, I will occupy until he comes. I will take my life and use it for his glory. I'll use his resources well and right. Because one day I know he may delay his coming, but I will see him again. The other servant said, ah, he delays his coming, he'll never come back, begins to get drunk, beats the other servants, does nothing for his life, only brings pain to the world. The master does come back. The one who handled it wisely got sent to heaven. The other one went to a place where Jesus said there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, who gets, one is taken, one is left. Two women in a mill at work. One is taken, one is left. Well, why is one taken and one left? Two men standing in a field, just out there fishing, hunting, hunting season. They're just sitting in a field. One is taken, one is left. Well, why is one taken and one is left? Jesus said, I'll tell you a story. He gives them the story of the, the, um, the ten virgins. Can we put that one up on the screen? It's in Matthew 25. Watch this. The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. Now, some theologians say this is symbolic of death. They got older and died. 
But either way, it's talking about one day you'll meet the Lord, whether you get older and die or whether you just don't think he's coming and it's night and it just seems like it's taken forever. And it's like, well, is he coming? Is he not? Like, will we be the generation that's raptured? He's like, that's what he's saying here is either you may get older and die or it just could take, you know, some, some time. And it's like, well, I don't know, but watch what happens in the story. But at midnight, there was a shout, and behold, the bridegroom came. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said unto the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered and said, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy buy some for yourselves. While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, 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 open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say unto you, I do not know you. They knew him. They knew of him. He did not know them. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus is coming back. I said, Jesus is coming back. He's king forever. And we might just be the generation who's caught up in the sky. Or we might get all old and that type of thing and get a little drowsy, get a little older and fall asleep. We'll see. But either way, one thing's for certain. I will see King Jesus and will forever be with the Lord. And somebody says, well, who gets in? I'll tell you who gets in. It's not those who are just, you know, clean morally, 10 virgins, five. And that, that's his point there. It's like they were virgins. They were clean morally. Like they, they were good people. They had good morals. But it's not your good morals that get you over to the other side. You can have the lamp all day long. The question is, is it been filled with oil? Have you received Jesus and been born of the Spirit? And that's why from the the rooftops to the mountains to the seas, we all got to get up and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it alone is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And he is coming for each and every one of us. And we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We are waiting for your return. That we may forever be with you. And today, you can get ready. Amen? And you can make a decision to get somebody else ready too. Amen. Let me pray for you across all of our campuses. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. You are King Jesus. There has never been any like you. You have never fallen. You have never failed. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. You reign supreme over everything. And Father, we just speak healing over your people. We speak life over your people. We speak protection over your people. We speak comfort over your people. We speak your anointing over your people. We speak your grace over your people. And we thank you, Lord, whom Jesus has set free, is free indeed. Father, we thank you. You are breaking yokes off of people. And what doctors and even medicine said would be impossible for them, we thank you by the power of Jesus' name. What others say is impossible is made possible today by Jesus. We love you, Lord. 
and we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Campus pastors, I'll let you dismiss the service. Um, At all of our other campuses here at Lakeland, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And if you're here today and you say, I want to know Jesus, if you're here today and say, Pastor Joel, I want to make Jesus my Lord, every head bowed right now, every eye closed, no one looking around. If that is you, you want to receive Jesus. If that is you, you want to make Jesus Lord. If that is you, you want to come back to Jesus. Maybe you're like the, one of the virgins who's been acting foolishly, delaying your decision until another time. But today you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the very first time. Or maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Joel, I'm like the guy who knows Jesus, but I've been acting foolishly. And today I want to come back to Jesus. Let me tell you, friend, Jesus is big enough to pick up your life and pick up the pieces of your life. And what you have broken, he can remember. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He's not just good enough to save you in the next life. He's good enough to pick up the pieces from this life. But the key is, is you have to come to him. And so across all this church, all this church, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or you want to come back to Jesus and rededicate your life, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand everywhere. You want to make Jesus? Let's give it up for people. Come on. Come on. Jesus is Lord. Lift up your hand. Why? It's a sign of surrender. It's me saying to Jesus, I need you. I can't do this in my own strength. I need a Savior. I need a Lord. Oh, that's awesome. Now we got to go because I took too much time. But if you're standing next to somebody who raised their hand, or if you're around somebody, I want you to ask them, do you want me to walk with you? As service is ending, I want you to walk down to this altar. If you raised your hand, walk to this altar. If you didn't raise your hand, you're getting someone next to you asking you, you want me to walk down there with you? I'd be glad to do it. For everyone else, go get your visitor gifts. We love you so much, church. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week for Fall Fest. God bless you.